Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. Here we go, Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to SST. Apple Podcast app, Spotify, you know what to do. Hit us with the subscribe rate review. I don't usually say that here, but it rhymed. I had no choice. With me here, of course, my guy always, every week, we can't miss. Pat Boyle, what's going on, brother? Yo, I was going to say... Every week, that's kind of a, a that, that was a false statement because oh. we weren't able to do it last week because we're all over the map doing mm, shit. True. So we weren't able, we weren't able to you know connect last week. So now I got to bring double the heat this week, and we had an unbelievable slate of games. I can't wait to get into it, man. That's a good point. I forgot that that week happened. It it almost feels like that Yankee wild card situation like kind of existed on its own universe for one week yeah. and then now it, yeah, just, it took it, precedent it never happened and it almost like i forgot that we even did that episode but yeah now we're back and we have so many things to talk about i mean to, to rank the crazy games after sunday there was a couple and then you just get the trump card baltimore ravens indianapolis colts game on monday night we spent some time talking about it right after the game. That podcast is out already, so if you missed it, you can go back and check that out. But, Pat, you didn't get yours off on that game. What a wild, wild performance back and forth. Not really, actually. It was really just in the Colts' direction and then flipped completely in the Ravens' direction. Not a lot of back and forth at all, really. But what a wild, wild game on Monday night. What did you make of that ridiculous performance? Yeah, so uh, obviously incredible comeback by the Ravens. I mean, Frank Reich basically shot, yeah, and the Colts shot themselves in the foot. Obviously, the one big thing that that fucked them ultimately is Rodrigo Blankenship. Whatever issue he had going on, not be able to kick a field goal. They should have won that game two, probably three different mm. times over. And uh, ultimately, that that's going to cost Indianapolis any chance of making the playoffs that they had, which was slim, and now it is basically almost non-existent. But you know, credit to them. They played a tremendous first half. Carson Wentz looked at, as good as he has, you know, since 2018. Um, so give him a lot of credit. You know, he can he still shows what he can do when he's healthy, and that's being able to spread the ball around. He threw for 400 yards against the Ravens defense, which obviously is not at its best right now. But still, with getting that secondary healthy, you know they're going to be dangerous, and they still have so much talent and so many great pass rushers with Campbell up front, even with some injuries. But uh, I mean, again, the fact that he they hit the screen pass right away on third and 15 for the big touchdown, you knew they were going to be competitive then. Uh, I thought their energy was tremendous. Pittman was great. Paris Campbell got involved. Mo Alley-Cox, I thought Mo Alley-Cox was going to get phased out of, like, the passing game. He's He shows he's a weapon again. So I thought Indianapolis was was great offensively. And it's just a shame because they were basically playing with a JV squad scrub secondary for that second half, which is ultimately the only reason why Baltimore won. So the biggest take for me out of that is I am not sold yet on, on the Baltimore Ravens being a Super Bowl contender because mm. they should have gotten destroyed in that game. And the fact that, you know, you basically got guys like, I mean, what the fuck, Chesley and Bopedi Keys playing mm. as in, at, at the corner spots, third string cornerbacks, practice squad cornerbacks. The fact that you can name those guys half. is impressive. 
Well, yeah, because I was like, who the fuck are these guys? And once <laughs> I like found out like who they are and like that they the one guy Chesley got promoted off the practice squad earlier in that week, and you see Xavier Rhodes go down, Rocky on the uh, sin was already out. So once those guys are in, I'm like, dude, if Baltimore ties this game, this game's over. They're not gonna be stopped. They could have scored seven touchdowns in a row after that I, I, when that game hit the fourth quarter because there was no way Indianapolis was stopping them because they're playing again with half a fucking team on defense. So to me, if Indianapolis doesn't suffer all those injuries, which part of the game, but still, if they don't suffer those injuries, Baltimore never comes back in that game. They have a serious issue with being able to generate offense and not turn the ball over. They're very comparable to the Kansas City Chiefs, in my opinion, right now. Lamar Jackson's great. He's tremendous. He's been he's shown that he can be an elite passer as well. He's thrown the ball down the field more than he ever has in his career. He's thrown for more passing yards. He can beat you with his feet, but he also turns the ball over in the most critical spots in the game. And what could have been a 99-yard fumble return for a touchdown gets oh negated because Darius Leonard thinks I'm not fast enough to score a touchdown. Let me lateral it, lateral it off my face mask and and <laughs> an illegal forward pass negates what would have been an absurd touchdown to put that game on ice. They end up scoring anyway, but still, again, Lamar keeps it on the read option when he had Murray or he had the other options at running back to hand it off to. He had Murray, he had Williams, he had Freeman, and Time and time again, Lamar Jackson decides to play hero ball and keep it and then fumble the football. Like, I've seen it happen so many times over the last two, three years now. And again, too, he, like, he's tripping over his own lineman early on in that game. They basically went three and out or, you know, one first down and then punt the ball the entire first half. So Lamar's got a serious issue with turning the ball over in bad spots. And again, like, I know everyone's going to hear that and say, oh, what the fuck are you talking about? Lamar, Lamar only had four incompletions the whole game or six incompletions the whole game. He do for 400 yards. He can count it for 500 yards of offense. That's all true. But when Baltimore gets behind early, they still have a ton of trouble in getting back in the game because then the run game's not effective. Mm -hmm. That long ass streak finally ended of a hundred plus rushing yards. So when teams show that they can blow them off the line, which again, without Ronnie Stanley at the left tackle, and they lost another lineman in that game as well. They're not that elite of a run team and Indianapolis's front seven is not what it used to be it's still pretty good but they could not generate the run and then they're basically it's just you know get Lamar and, and have him scramble out of the pocket and play you know fucking schoolyard football basically yeah. to try to generate offense through the air so again I, I think this comes down to if Indianapolis doesn't suffer all those crushing injuries to the secondary, they win this game by two touchdowns or more. So I'm not sold yet on Baltimore. I thought it was a very unconvincing performance considering e even though they came back from 19 points down, like that right. was the most, the most like, unconvincing yet unconvincing performance you could have it, basically. Exactly. Yes. Thank you for summing that up very shortly there, Pete. But um, yeah, cause like I'm, I'm going through like, as I was watching that game and I'm like, dude, like they have no business winning this game and they're probably going to. And even then I'm like, dude, are they really going to convert two straight two point conversions and two straight touchdowns? And then they, and Calais Campbell blocks the, the yeah. fucking field oh goal. God. Like there was so many spots where if Indianapolis didn't fuck up, they win that game. So again, Rod I think awesome Rodrigo game. has a hip by the way, has a hip injury. I love that. He's got, yeah, he's got a hip. He's got a hip. That's what people say, right? On the broadcast. Oh, he's got I don't an know ankle. Why, why can't you just say injury? He's, he's got, got, he's, he's, got he's, 
he's hampered by something. It's an injury, whether he's or not he can play or he Pat, can't. Okay, he's got he's, he's got two of them actually. Yeah, not only does he have one hamstring, he does have two, but he is he's got a hamstring. He's he's dealing with a hamstring. Like yeah. just say injury. He's got a hamstring injury of some sort. We can't specify exactly what it is. I hate that. You got to use minimal yeah. words when you're doing play by play. Come on, you know this. Yeah, well, again, I think we can say the word injury or being hampered by yeah. his hamstring is is fine enough. I I don't get why that terminology is like like the go to now for broadcasting, um, as fellow broadcasters ourselves. So again, I thought the game was epic. I thought it was tremendous. But again, I'm not sold yet on Baltimore. I think that was a telling point for them. They get behind early. They still don't have that quick strike offense. And again, they only were able to put up all those points in the second half because the Colts suffered so many injuries on defense and their kicker was was dealing with a hip. <laughs> so <laughs> he was dealing with the hip. Yeah. That's so my I agree. And uh after my little sit down post game reaction with the Ravens fan friend of mine who was extremely exciting. I think he was still shaking when I got him on the Zoom. Uh, it, it was obviously very exciting. We were talking mostly positive about what we just witnessed and how crazy it was, which I think is all fair, and you cover that. What I got to in the second half of my podcast, just to give you a little heads up here, is what I said to you two weeks ago uh, about Kyler Murray and the Cardinals and saying, it makes me nervous that it's so much reliance on Kyler Murray being special and being spectacular. It's absolutely the same uh, conversation with Lamar Jackson, and that's why I picked Lamar in the beginning of the year as my MVP pick, and that's probably why Kyler is still the front runner and should be the front runner for MVP in this league. They are so not, the the teams are so reliant, they're so desperate to see those guys be Superman that you can't sustain that forever. You can't sustain it for 17 games, and even if you can sustain it for 17, can you sustain it when it's cold and windy and shitty out in the playoffs time? So, I think it's an extremely fair point. We're actually going to talk about the AFC contenders, and I'm sure the Ravens will get brought back up. And then we're going to talk about NFC contenders, where obviously the Cardinals are going to be a premier point in that conversation. And the Chiefs, at the same moment, have a lot of that same energy where it's like, all right, Pat, save us, buddy. You got us, right? Mahomes, you got you got this? We don't, you do you? Okay, good. Thank you. Like that, that can't be the story every single week. And it turns, it leads to turnovers. For Mahomes, it leads to turnovers for Lamar Jackson. It doesn't matter if you are spectacular, amazing, fantastic, whatever. You can still be prone to turnovers when you are forced to be doing too much week in, week out, play in, play out. And that's what we saw with Lamar. In this particular case, it happened to work out because every single thing, like you just outlined, went wrong for the Colts. So let's recap here again real quick, regroup into our conversation. I'm going to call it this, Pat. We're going to talk about the big three. The big three is a basketball term. I'm trying to start to get my brain going on basketball here because the season starts next week and I'm overwhelmed. We haven't done a podcast about it yet and it's making me really upset. So I need to at least bring in a basketball term into our football podcast here. I want to try you and I together create the big three in each conference. Now I know there's four divisions in each conference, of course, but I don't think you and I are looking at anyone in the South as uh, true contenders here. There's an argument to be made of who's the true contender in the North, and I think the East and West have some, uh, well, the East has one option, the West has a couple as well. So we're going to try to find the true big three there in the AFC and then do the same in the NFC. So why not start, we just talked about the Ravens, with the AFC and talk a little bit about what we saw on Sunday night because two of those teams are going to be in that conversation as well. You saw a lot of that, Lamar Jackson, 
issue slash heroics on Sunday. We saw Mahomes try to do the same thing on Sunday. But on the flip side, we saw Josh Allen put together a spectacular performance and the Bills overall put a well-rounded performance together. So, Pat, before you go into who's in your big three, what were your takeaways from Sunday night? My main takeaway from Sunday night, and it's obvious, and it's been obvious, and and geez, Pete, outside of my Giants take slash prediction this year that they were going to win the NFC East, Mm. I think I've been pretty fucking spot on with, like, (laughs) everything I've said. Like, not to, like, toot my own horn, but what did I say the beginning of the year on this podcast? I said, ultimately, what's going to keep the Chiefs from getting back to the Super Bowl is their defense. And their defense is a fucking nightmare right now. Steve Spagnuolo has got to be looking at himself like, what did I get myself into? Because they gave all these contracts to all their big offensive players, Mahomes, Kelsey Hill, all these guys. And, and rightfully so, because they're obviously some of the top position players in the position and in the entire sport. But now they've left their defense with guys that they can't give big contracts to really outside of guys like Frank Clark and Chris Jones and, uh, and Trevarius Ward. And, and ty- even then, yeah, and, and Tyron Matthew, excuse me. Yeah, so with, with Chris Jones now being, you know, basically hampered with injuries, their pass rush is pretty dog shit, and their secondary is abysmal. They were getting torched play after play. It was literally like college football in terms of how easily Buffalo was just throwing the ball down the field, 50, 60 yards at a clip, touchdowns. I mean, Dawson Knox if Dawson Knox goes on to be like the next Kelsey or the next Darren Waller or the next George Kittle, so be it. He's a pretty decent tight end and he's become a big factor in their game over the last couple of weeks, but he is not that great. And the chiefs made hottie toddy Dawson Knox look like an absolute (laughs) superstar back on Sunday night. Like that's how bad their secondary is. That is how bad that Daniel Sorensen is. I mean, my God, man, you want to talk about like the equivalent of being put on a poster there's another basketball term for you Yeah, being put on a poster. He got put on a poster every single time the ball was thrown his way. Cause he cannot cover. Yeah. And yeah. he cannot cover Dawson Knox. He cannot cover Stefan Diggs. He cannot cover anybody that gets the ball thrown his way. Whether again, whether it's Diggs, whether it's Knox, whether it's Emmanuel Sanders, Cole Beasley has become a non-factor the last two weeks. And he just put up like a hundred yards receiving like what, three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And now, now they don't even need to rely on him. That's how talented Buffalo is. So I don't yes. want to take away any credit for them. They are a machine. They, that was the revenge game for them after losing the AFC title game. But Kansas city's defense is even worse than I thought. They are awful. And when they can't stop anybody that's how much more pressure than it puts on Mahomes, like you've talked about, and it puts on the offense, especially because they have basically no run game either. And with Clyde Edwards-Alaire being basically on and off with injuries, they can't run the ball. They can't run the ball. So it's all pass. It's all pass or nothing for the Chiefs. And when they're getting down early, Mahomes is being forced into playing chaos offense, and that's why we're seeing all these turnovers from him. Yeah, absolutely. I have a couple things to add there because I think the one thing – that you said in the beginning in the preview pods where you were saying the Chiefs are truly going to struggle because the defense, you were only, not only, but you were mostly highlighting the defensive backs. I think the pass rush, as you just said, is the bigger issue here because I don't I don't know if it's just Chris Collinsworth who thinks Daniel Sorensen is actually good, but like every time the Chiefs are on Sunday Night Football, he's like, this guy, man, is flying around. He's making the plays that the Chiefs need him to make. I'm just like, I don't know. Every time I feel like I see him, he's getting torched. 
That's, I don't know if that's just me. Yeah, it's like Collinsworth, like the only good thing you can say about it. He's flying, or here's a guy that yeah. flies around. Yeah, he flies around. He's flying around looking at the back of the fucking number of the receiver that's in front of him <laughs> after he gets torched yet again. Just just every white DB who has an inch of hope in their life is like, God damn it, that's the only guy we got out here? This is terrible. <laughs> this is terrible. And Collinsworth is trying to make you feel even worse. But the, the pass rush is epically bad there especially when chris jones is not in so josh allen looking comfortable getting around you know with their, even with his run game he got the run game going a little bit it looked like the bills couldn't be stopped i remember i bet on the rams two weeks ago and watching the cardinals just constantly pick up first down after first down didn't matter if it was third and two or third and 12 they were picking it up that's what it felt like watching this bills team against the chiefs right now and i don't know if it says more about the bills or the chiefs i think it likely says a lot about both is that is that a fair assessment yeah yeah i think i was equally as impressed and again it's like you know we're not surprised by buffalo they made the afc title game last year they've been the best they've been the second best team in the afc for basically three years now since brady left new england and even then they were basically overtaking them in brady's last year so yeah it's it's kind of hard to say it's like you're you're that impressive Buffalo because we know how good they are, but they continue to be better and better. And this is a year where now in week six here, you're thinking of them as a legit Super Bowl contender more so than you are Kansas city. So I think it's equally as impressed with Buffalo as I am just appalled by Kansas city's defense and their propensity to turn the ball over three times every game. So what do you make of the narrative where it's like, Oh, the bills lost to the chiefs last year. So now this game was completely marked off. As soon as the schedule came out, Buffalo knew, all right, Chiefs, week five, that's it. We need to win that game. We need to get over that hump. And the Chiefs, on the other hand, have just been in a couple Super Bowls in a row. They're kind of the talk of the town still. Even at two and three, everyone still expects them to be in the playoffs. It's almost not that it's just another game for them, but it's closer to just another game for the Chiefs, whereas for the Bills, it's an extremely important hump to climb over. Do you make anything of that narrative? Or is that BS and the Chiefs just came out whack, like lame? You know what I mean? No, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think it it is it it how ha- it holds a lot of weight, especially on Buffalo's side. I mean, that's a game again. You know that that's the revenge game for them. They had that game marked off. It's like Sunday night, national TV on the road in Arrowhead. That's the game that they get up for probably more than any other regular season game this entire year because it's a team that knocked them out last year. They have something to prove to everybody and themselves. And I think that was kind of driven home even more. Um, I was producing the uh, the DA show on CBS Sports Radio the last two days, and they had we had Steve Tasker, former Bills great, and he's an analyst on their radio network uh, in Buffalo. And he he said like you know the feeling of the team after that game was he said it was a feeling that he had when they went in and they beat the Giants team that had uh, LT and Carl Banks and all those guys. And he goes after we won that game, it was like he goes that was like more jubilation in the locker room than when they went to, you know, the couple of Super Bowls that they went to. So he goes, I, he goes, yeah, definitely. That like that narrative is absolutely true. And I think for them, like they probably felt as accomplished as they have in, in since that team's been together. Absolutely. And uh, even for Josh Allen in particular, because quarterbacks get compared so much, we knew what it meant for Lamar to get over that chief's hump. Now Josh Allen's over that hump as well. And it seems like everybody wants to pick them off and they're not going to get an easy game all year, basically. Dude, and how 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 solid, how much of a stud is Allen running the ball too now, even like more so than in oh. years past? That hurdle obviously caught everybody's attention. But the fact that he's 230 pounds and he's running guys over and he's also agile and he's got like that 
sneaky speed where he gets into open field and it's tough to bring him down. He's just as much of a dual threat, in my opinion, as Lamar Jackson. I was, uh, I mean, especially in the red zone. I mean, because he's bullying people in there. Where Lamar has Dude, to be a little and, bit and finesse I, there. Josh Allen's running through, folks. And I saw that stat on Sunday Night Football. He has not turned the ball over in the red zone since he came into the league. <sighs> it's a – or, yeah, it's – I think crazy. it's now 200 – more than over 200 consecutive throws without an interception in the red zone. It's like Dan Marino and I forget who else – you probably throw out any Hall of Fame, right. you know, stud quarterback. I think it was Peyton. I think it was Peyton and Dan Marino, the only ones with longer streaks of passes without an interception in the red zone. Like that, that goes to show you right there. He does not give the ball away. Yeah, and I heard Trent Dilfer talking about quarterbacks uh, kind of sticking their nose into the into the tackle, right, and trying to gain an extra yard or two, and how important it is to pick spots and how different the game is now versus when other people played just from a physicality standpoint, how defensive linemen can hit quarterbacks in the pocket versus how they can't now. And one thing he said just stuck out to me. He was like, Josh Allen can take on any safety in the league. Five-yard head start for each of them. If they you know, both keep their heads out of it, obviously, to not be dumb about it. He's like, Josh Allen could take on any safety in the league. And it's true. And that's like, if you really think about it, he might be one of three quarterbacks who you can say that about. Maybe it's one of two. I don't know. Can Herbert really lower the shoulder like that? We don't know. Sammy D likes to get a little physical sometimes near the goal line. I don't know. I don't know though. Josh Allen might be without Cam being in his prime right now or even on a team right now. He might be in a league of his own as a physical runner at the quarterback position. Maybe Trey Lance could get there. And Fields, perhaps. And Trey, Trey Lance got popped yeah. when he tried to get into the end zone on he Sunday. Got, he got huge. welcome to the league there, and he's fucking ripped, Trey Lance is. So yep. it's it's interesting. Um, I want to keep this thing moving, though, quickly to talk about a few other teams. And in this specific case, we get to talk about another game. This one a little close to home for you. The Browns and the Chargers. Is this third ranked on the most wild game of the week? Maybe it's second. It might be second behind Ravens-Colts uh, because... It was so high scoring. It was just wild, but, and close, not like the uh, Chiefs Bills. So Chargers Browns was wild. There was over 80 combined points scored in the game. Browns had a big lead. Chargers unleashed themselves offensively, come back, take it over late, and the rest is history there. I think we learned a lot of good things about both teams here, but both of these teams clearly aren't perfect. What did you take away, Pat? I know you are a resident Browns fan, but you keep it a buck, almost especially with your team. So what did you take away from Chargers Browns? Yeah, that was the uh, really one of the first times, especially for the reigning NFL coach of the year, one of the first times I was really, really disappointed with the way that Kevin Stefanski handled that game. Um, I thought it was very, very piss poor. Uh, I thought they had several chances to put that game on ice. And then the last possession, when you know that you're not going to stop the Chargers because they just continue to throw it right down your throat, they go conservative like three and out runs and they punt the ball back to them. Uh, with like two and a half minutes remaining. I mean, it's, it's, I feel like it's hard to keep track of like all the scenarios because there was literally like 19 different drives <laughs> so that ended many in a touchdown yeah. <laughs> in, in the second half. But yeah, that was the one where they had a chance to put the game away after LA missed the extra point. It was 42 41, and they, they just give the ball right back to him. And, you know, that's again, that's just bad head coaching by Kevin Stefanski and the Browns defense, who I thought was apparently a lot better than they are, or at least the way they played on Sunday without Jadavion Clowney and without Greg Newsom in the secondary, like those two guys are not even the two best players on the field for them on defense. Obviously it's miles Garrett. And I would make the argument 
you know, already in his rookie year, Jeremiah Wusukoromoa from Notre Dame has been a tremendous addition to them. Like without those two guys, like their defense seemed to just go down two two tiers, two levels. And it was really, really bad watching them just basically lay down and watch and, and have LA run and throw all over them at will. So uh, yeah, I'm, the Browns offense, even with, you know, Baker answered obviously all the questions about the non-throwing shoulder torn labrum. I don't think that's going to be an issue for him. Um, he balled out, you know, the run game obviously was the run game. The offensive line is still probably the best in the entire NFL. So the offense, I have no issues with the Browns still at it, you know, and I don't think I'm going to really have any issues with them unless Baker starts turning the ball over and going back to what he was in year two. It's the defense. Now it's the defense and, and Kevin Stefanski has to learn from that game and realize that you can't lose that game in that situation in which they also had plenty of chances to win it. Um, and again, if the defense takes a couple of injuries where maybe they lose guys for several weeks at a time, it doesn't look like they can overcome them. So I'm really concerned about the Browns defense going forward. And the, the weird thing about that setup there, because it's a great points by you, but the weird thing about the setup is when you think about the Brown strengths, they get out to a lead. That's when you think it's over, right? You know, foot on the throat, keep running the ball. And they kind of kept running the ball, right? It's not like they, they, completely fell off the run game there. You, you think that they're built to win that game where they get up 27, what was it, 27-13, 20-something 13, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, that's what you think that they're built for. But was it just the story of Herbert launching himself onto that game, like full throttle? I heard Warren Sharp talking about the Chargers' offensive game plan in the first, second quarter, and even part of the third quarter, until when they actually just say, all right, let's go. Full throttle, Herbert, let's ride. And then they kind of open up the whole thing. So do you think part of it is, even though the Browns are built to win that game when they're up like that, that just Justin Herbert is that level of elite perhaps at this point in time, or are we getting ahead of ourselves? No, I mean, no, I mean, you, you know me, you know my take on Justin That's Herbert. That's true. He's kind of your guy. His, he's, he's he is my guy. guy. I've been singing his praises since before the draft. I said, he's the guy, he's got to be the guy drafted ahead of Tua. And, you know, Joe Burrow obviously torn ACL and he looks great this year. So it's kind of hard to say he could have should have been drafted number one overall because after the season Burrow had at LSU, I don't think you could rationally make an argument that Justin Herbert should have been taken ahead of him. But again, I, I've said it. I said in the preseason with you on our on our uh, NFL preview, like plus 2000 for MVP. Like I thought those are good odds to get on Justin Herbert, you know, throw a couple dollars down on that. And he's been just as every good as I thought he'd be here in year two. So yeah, again, you know, I don't, I don't want to take away credit from the Chargers because that offense is legit. They've got so many weapons, whether it's Eckler, whether it's Williams, whether it's Keenan Allen, like they're so good. But again, you can't give up 47 points in a game. Yeah, especially when you have that lead. When you have that lead and you're built to win when you have that type of lead, it's extra frustrating. And it's the type of thing where you're going to kick yourself over that one where you could have beat a team that across the board people believe is a top what? Three to three to five team easily in the league. Like any power rankings right now has the Chargers at least in that range. So yeah. the Browns could have thrusted themselves into that conversation because some people still have uh, their their doubts with with Cleveland and with Baker Mayfield and those weird games where they can't move the ball against the Vikings when everybody's moving the ball against the Vikings. And it's like what what's going on here? Like how did this happen? Right. So people have their reservations for the Browns and they had a chance to literally implant themselves at the top of all power rankings across the league. And now they're stuck on the backside here and in the rankings, in the standings, 
they're technically behind the Bengals. Now, I don't think you and I are going to sit here and act like the Bengals are better than the Browns. I don't think that. I know you don't either, right? No. Obviously. Okay, just making sure. So let's talk about the AFC Big Three now because we talked about all the teams. We talked about all the teams that actually matter in this conversation. I don't think, right, there's no one we left off here. We don't need to talk about the Raiders, the Broncos, the Bengals. Um, Do we have to talk about the Titans? Not yet, right? They need to do a little more to prove that they're a real team again. So the Bills, Ravens, Browns, Chargers, and Chiefs, who are in last in the West, they still get mentioned here. That's five teams. Shoot your shot on your big three, and we'll try to work work it out together. Yeah, again, I, you know, and obviously Sunday night was like the hammering that hammering this home, but Buffalo is number one for me right now. Again, the defense has been so good for them. Um, you know, obviously the three straight games where they don't play good offensive teams, but they blank Miami after the Tua injury. They blank Houston 40 to nothing and they blow out Washington. And then they follow that up with beating Kansas City on the road by 18 points. So, yeah, I mean, obviously they're number one right now. I would go ahead and put the Chargers at number two in the AFC because of everything I've said about their offense. The line, and even then their offensive line is like subpar. And like I always say offensive lines don't get talked about that much as it is to begin with, but especially their offensive line is not going to get talked about because they're masking the, their big flaw. And that's their offensive line, you know, gets Herbert under pressure a lot more than they should, but he's so good at getting rid of the ball so quickly in terms of skill sets and like weapons that they have. They're, they're right up there with every other team in the NFL with the guys I mentioned before and Herbert under, under center. So I, I think their offensive loan, their offense alone has enough firepower to stay with almost everybody in the league and, and the defense they're now they're getting turnovers when they need to. And, you know, again, they did give up 42 to Cleveland, but right now I got the chargers too. I'd have the, guess, I'd have my brownies. Tough. There you go. I'd have my brownies still at number, at number three. You know, their, their two losses are to the Chargers by five and the Chiefs by four in week one. And again, if that defense is healthy, they have one of the best pass rushes. And that secondary, you know, again, like they, they need to be better. They've got to be a lot better than they have been. I still think it's it's they do have time to gel with guys like John Johnson and Grant Delpit, who's only in his first season now. He missed his whole rookie season with the injury. So that's a secondary that I think needs time to grow together. Um but I, I have, you know, I don't think there's any questions that need to be answered about the offense. The running game is the best in the NFL. The offensive line, well, not as a whole, but the, the tandem of Hunt and Chubb is the best in the NFL. The offensive line is the best in the NFL. Baker's been great. So I'd have my Browns at three. I'd have the Ravens at four. And I talked about them, obviously, just, you know, when we, when we first got underway about how I'm not convinced by them yet, but I still think they're the fourth best team in the AFC. And then I got the Chiefs at five. You got the Chiefs five, so that's yeah. that's the that's the it's, tough one. Because their def- their defense is one of the worst in the entire league. So, do you feel any sort of here's my here's my basically my unscientific methodology on why you got to keep the Chiefs in consideration for number three here? If we truly think that this team can be the next dynasty, right, or is the next dynasty, which I, I guess we can debate that right now, right? Isn't there moments for most of these teams, as we saw with the Patriots through numerous years where through week four, through week five, we start saying, are they done? They got issues. They can't do this well. They can't do that well. And then all of a sudden we blink and it's November and they're back on top of their division or they're back in the playoff hunt. And, you know, Brady's an MVP. Mahomes is going to be an MVP candidate. Like, is there is there an opportunity here where the Chiefs, all of a sudden we turn around in five more weeks in week 10 
and they still have three losses. Like, is that a possibility in your eyes? Or do you truly think this is a issue for the Chiefs that can't be turned around just because now they care? Um, I would say I wouldn't be surprised to, to answer your first thing if they have three losses still in the next couple of weeks because they have a very soft schedule coming up. They have Washington on the road. They have Tennessee on the road. And they've got the Giants at home. Where the Giants right now are just <sighs> completely rattled with injuries. We're not going to talk about the Giants in the big three of the NFC. We'll put it that way. No, and they're not <laughs> as good as I thought they would be. Again, I'm admitting that they're not as good as I thought they would be. And now they're crushed, decimated by injuries. Um, probably just as about as much as any other team in the NFL. You can make that argument. Um, you lose your starting quarterback, your starting running back, your number one receiver, your number one, your all pro uh, linebacker, your all pro cornerback. Bradbury has been terrible this year, basically, uh, to not pull any punches. Uh, but yeah, to get back to the Chiefs, yeah, they're they're probably going to be five and three in the next three weeks, and they're going to have a game against the Packers at home on uh, in on November seventh that they easily can win, and they could be six and three. So yeah, but even then, the issue is the defense, and it's the secondary, and they're another team like I mentioned with the Browns, where if you lose a guy like Jones and you lose any other members of your secondary there's no sign that the defense is going to get better unless again, unless Spags, unless Spagnolo like starts it, it, you know, devising schemes week by week where they can mask their giant flaw that they can't get a pass rush and their secondary gets torched on a weekly basis. Like I'm not ready to put them in the top three until their defense shows me that they have taken a huge step forward. And until they do that against a great offense, like the Packers or like the Cowboys the week before Thanksgiving, I'm not ready to buy into the fact that the Chiefs is uh, the Chiefs are ready to get back to a Super Bowl. I got you. I hear you, and I, I'm basically saying it as like a tip of the cap to a team that has been a shoe in for you know the end run of a playoffs like the past couple of years, right? That's basically what I'm doing here. I'm not trying to say, oh, this is exactly why I think the defense is going to be better all of a sudden in the next couple of weeks. So I don't think that's true. I just think that there's something about a team that is this elite at a couple positions where you blink and you say, wait, were we really worried about them when they were two and three? Because now they're nine and three. Like, what what were we worried about? Right? Like that can happen in a blink of an eye. And it's important to remember that on your Browns front, I'm going to agree with you. And I'm going to go with uh, um, Bill's chargers Browns. Cause I like where the Browns are at here. But my one question, as we segue to NFC, we'll, we'll finish with this last thing. Your brownies, Pat, go and play the Arizona Cardinals this week. Now, actually, they shouldn't say go and play. The Cardinals are coming to Cleveland, so it's a home game. How important is it for the Browns to show up against this team? Because if you think about it, the Browns can be one of those teams if they lose to the Cardinals where it's like, oh, wait, they're 3-3. Three and three. They beat the Vikings, Bears, and Texans, and they lost to all the teams over 500. Like, why are we impressed? Like, what are we so impressed about? Now, obviously, that doesn't tell the whole picture, but how important is it for them to put a stellar level performance against the Cardinals on tape this week? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I wouldn't say it's a must win, but I'd say it's critical. It's critical for them. It's critical for them to have that self belief as a team that they are as good as they think they are and that as good as everybody else, including me and a lot of people think they are. So, yeah, I'd say it's as, again, it's not a must win, but I'd say it's close to that. I'd say that's a game where they have an opportunity at home. Vegas obviously still respects them. They're two and a half point favorites here on, on Tuesday night, as we're recording um, that they, they still think they can win this game. And they're as good as, uh, again, a lot of people think they are. 
Uh, but it's going to be up to that defense. And if they get Clowney back and if they get, uh, you know, Newsom back and Denzel Ward is healthy, he's questionable, you know, early in the week, then I think they can beat them. You know, I think they can beat the Cardinals. Any given week, anybody can beat anybody. And I, I think the Browns playing at home in a game where you know that the stakes are high and, you know, not just to say like, oh, like this is a big game for them. They're going to get up for it. I, I hate that. I hate that line. They're going to get Me up too. for this game. But, you know, that is a game where there is even more motivation for them now to perform well and kind of silence some of those critics. Yeah, it's a huge game for them. It, ab- it obviously is. And if they lose, then all those criticisms are fair at three and three with everything you just said, beating three, ba- you know, um, average to below average teams and losing the three playoff caliber teams. Yeah. So I agree. I agree wholeheartedly with you. Yeah. And that's one of those things where it's, you know, you could predict what's going to happen all you want, but you can't really make your assessment until you see it in real life. Because there's obviously an avenue where we can walk away with a Browns loss and say, yeah, but they're they're still legit. And they went toe-to-toe with the Cardinals team, who we're going to talk about in the big three, perhaps, of the NFC in just a moment here, right? So multiple outcomes possible. We can't just look at the outcome. We obviously learn this over time because if you just look at outcomes, you're going to be real confused when you look back over the course of a season because crazy shit happens week in and week out. So let's move on to the NFC here uh, and talk about who we think are the big three out there. I think the candidates include, I don't I don't think, I know that the candidates include the Dallas Cowboys, the Green Bay Packers, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Arizona Cardinals, and the LA Rams. Did I leave anyone out, Pat? Is there anyone there? Maybe the Bears, maybe the Panthers or the Saints who deserve a shout-out. Do the, do the Niners deserve a shout-out here? I'm not sure. I think I covered everyone. What do you think there? Nope. Yep. I think you were spot on. That's the teams I was looking at the standings and I was hoping you were going to say all five of those and nobody else. So perfectly agree with you. Is there anyone on the outside with the saints, Panthers, Niners, bear, I don't know, bears, whatever. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm sticking to my take that I thought Seattle was going to have a down year. You know, now that Russell Wilson's going to miss four weeks, obviously they're in a bad spot. Um, And I'm not going to say I saw that coming, but without Russell Wilson, you know, can, can uh, fucking Geno Smith, like go out and win, lead this team to like four wins in their next five games. Who knows? Cause he looked pretty damn good um, in their yeah, game back on did. Thursday. Look good. <laughs> but that being said, no, Seattle doesn't deserve to be in the conversation. San Francisco, especially without Jimmy G does not deserve to be in the conversation. New Orleans with Jameis Winston does not deserve to be in the conversation. And after their last couple of weeks without Christian McCaffrey, if he comes back in the next two weeks, maybe we can put them back in the conversation. But as of now, they don't deserve to be. Chicago absolutely does not deserve to be. And nobody else from the East deserves to be. So, yeah, no, no one in the East deserves it out, at all outside the Cowboys. The Cowboys have been one of the most pleasant surprises, I think, in the league, if you ask me. I think uh, you and I both bet on them in a teaser this week. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah, I had Dallas and Baltimore minus one and a half each. How about the Ravens just loving finding a way to cover the tees? I absolutely adore them for that. Oh, yeah. Big uh, time. So I bet the Cowboys as well in a tease. Uh, actually, did I do that with – did that one not even hit? I don't even remember. But I had their their leg in a tease, and they covered their, their share. So good for the Cowboys. Their offense has been freaking phenomenal. Can't talk enough about it. We will. Packers are 4-1. and one. Bucks, we just saw what they did to the Dolphins. Your Cardinals, your Cardinals, Pat, going against your Browns. That's going to be a tough one for you. Also 5-0. and I don't know exactly where to start here. It's not like any of these teams played each other this week. 
But I do, I am interested in starting. Let's actually just start with the Dallas Cowboys here. So they're sitting here at four and one. Dak is breaking through all expectations. I think anyone who said, hey, he's going to look fine off this injury, still couldn't have predicted him looking this comfortable this soon after an injury like that. So let's talk about what they've done and how their defense has had an incredible amount of turnovers to this point. Sustainable? That's a question we can talk about. But what have you seen from this Cowboys team that you may like or don't like where you think they deserve to be in this big three or not? Um, I, I think, you know, first and foremost, the offense, we knew how great the offense, you know, has been for the last couple of years now. And especially with Dak healthy, that doesn't need to be necessarily touched upon. It's the defense and the job that Dan Quinn has done making up for a team that is not, you know, physically strong gifted. That's going to bully you around and blow you off the line of scrimmage on defense and a defense that is still going to give up a ton of yards per game. It's the fact that they know who they are. They know their weakness, but they know their strengths. And that is that they have a ton of speed all over the field on defense. They use that to their advantage. I believe it was Jabril Cox who said in an interview, um, I was listening to the giants pregame with Lance Meadow. And he said, Jabril Cox told him, look, we know that we're not like, we know we're going to give up yardage, but we are going to make up for that. Where Dan Quinn told us to be aggressive, to fly all over the place, play with speed and create turnovers and create chaos. And that is exactly what they have done. So all their ailments, all their weaknesses on defense, they have made up for that by saying, you know what? Fuck it. We're going to be aggressive. We're going to go for interceptions. We're going to jump routes. We're going to go for fumbles. We're going to try to punch the ball out of the, out of the running back's hand every single time. And if it results in some broken tackles, so be it. But we are going to cause turnovers. And Trayvon Diggs has been the defensive MVP of the season so far. Six picks in five games. He has been unbelievable. Anthony Brown has also been good. Like there was so many questions to be asked of this secondary with good reason. Cause one, they couldn't tackle anybody last year Two, They couldn't cover anybody last year. You add in Micah Parsons, who's been probably the second or third best rookie in the NFL so far this season. And even without Demarcus Lawrence, even without Neville Gallimore, like they're still getting like somewhat of a pass rush, which I thought they would have none of. So the defense and Dan Quinn has have been tremendous. And Dan Quinn proves that he is, an excellent defense coordinator, shit head coach, but <laughs> at least at least the last couple of years he did go yeah, to the yeah, Super Bowl, yeah. so you got to give him that. But it was never the same head coach after they blew that game to, to New England. But he's still a great defensive coordinator, and he knows how to get the most out of his defense. I think it's the Cowboys' defense that deserves as much praise as the offense because they're they're creating two to three turnovers every game, and they're changing games with it. Absolutely. I have to uh, I have to add slash ask this one part of the question here. We all spent a lot of time finding ways to crap over Mike McCarthy in the past two years. And I think a lot of it was deserved, right? Yeah, it was. It was absolutely because like he just says like weird stuff. Sometimes he seems like he's trying way too hard to fit the right mold of what a coach is supposed to be. He literally lied about studying analytics for a year and his year off. His, and his late game management was shit. Yeah. His game management was crap. You know, after Dak Prescott got hurt, the team fell apart. It was terrible. Right. So there's a lot of things that were rightfully so against Mike McCarthy. But if you look at now what's going on in, in Dallas, does he deserve credit because empowering Kellen Moore and also having some of his like standard offensive mindset stuff going on in Dallas seems to be working fine. Right. And then 
hiring Dan Quinn, I'm sure you know he has to have a say in that situation there. Who's going to be his defensive coordinator? He deserves credit for that, right? So does he deserve to be a little bit, you know, better in the public eye right now, or is he still, you know, big old Mike McCarthy saying weird stuff? No, no. I mean, look, he's not lying anymore when he talks about studying analytics because they go for it on almost every fucking fourth down. Like, they go for it. They're super aggressive. They understand the probability of being able to put yourself in advantageous situations on offense. Like I said to myself, they had, what was it, fourth and fourth and five from, like, the Giants 40. And I'm like, dude, or four, Giants 45. I'm like, dude, they're going for this. Like, not a doubt in my mind. And sure enough, Mike McCarthy's like, yeah, well, we're going for it. <laughs> Like you, like you do, you have to give him a lot of credit. He right? has not, he has not like thrown away games late, you know, and they've, they've won a, you know, a couple of games now where the game's over by the fourth quarter, but still like that game against Carolina, like, you know, you thought maybe in years past, they opened the door for the Panthers to make a comeback. They're putting teams away. Mike McCarthy, you mentioned it. I think he's got like a really great setup right now with how he has allotted responsibilities to Kellen Moore and Dan Quinn and the other coaches on that staff. And like, they seem like a really well run group with leaders on both the offensive side and defensive side, they're playing as a unit and the head coach has to get credit for that. So, and, and let's not forget like Mike McCarthy, Super Bowl winning head coach. Yeah. Guy that got thrown under the bus by Aaron Rodgers, And then everybody decided to shit on him after that. And he did have a couple of bad years the last few years in Dallas, but like, again, he's a Super Bowl winning head coach. Yeah. And he's, and, and you were seeing the byproduct of when things are in the right place at the right time, how it can go well. And it's going well. And Mike McCarthy does deserve a ton of credit. And, and let's be honest here too. We talked about, uh, or maybe I didn't say this exact line when I was on with you. Maybe I said it last night. Um, Pat Mahomes can be the greatest mask in the league of your issues, right? He's trying to be that currently for this terrible defense. Aaron Rodgers is a great mask for your problems from time to time, most of the time. Dak Prescott deserves credit for being a mask on any problems you may have because you're not going to see him. He is so calm, cool, collected. I've said this on this podcast before. I'll say it a hundred times again. He is an all-pro human being, quarterback, team leader, Day in, day out. That guy is top tier in the league at getting his team going in the right direction, and he deserves so much credit. So maybe Mike McCarthy's getting lucky being dealt Aaron Rodgers to Dak Prescott. But guess what? He is in the situation he is in, and uh, it's seemingly working out for them. So they're middle in the pack in points allowed. They're lower third in yards allowed, but they're second in the league in turnover differential, only behind the Buffalo Bills right now. They're plus seven in that department. Pat, my last question on the Cowboys. We've got to move on. Is it sustainable to almost rely on takeaways? I'd say yes. I'd say it is sustainable uh, because they're going to give up yardage. They're going to give up big plays at times, but they're going like their, their aggression is not going to go away. So like that, those turnover opportunities are going to present themselves to them because they're going for them. And because Micah Parsons has been great at getting to the quarterback, even when their front four hasn't been good and it's been banged up with injuries to Demarcus Lawrence and their secondary is playing to a level I did not think was possible for them. So even if the secondary is not getting turnovers, like they're still fast. And those are also things that they can get better at, you know, zone coverage, man coverage down the field, even when they're not getting turnovers, just like, being able to then manage, you know, third and like eights, third and nines and saying, okay, we're not going to get a turnover here, but we're also not going to give up 12 yards. Like that's something they can get better at. So yeah, I think it is sustainable. 
And on top of that, what makes it sustainable is that there's only X amount of teams in this league who can keep up with them offensively. When I picked the Cowboys in the tees over the Giants, I said, you know what? Maybe there's a chance the Giants do this thing where they play to their competition and keep it closer than it should be or garbage time, touchdown, whatever. If you don't like the minus seven, that's fine. I love the Cowboys at minus one or the money line for that matter because not many teams in this league can keep up with them. So I mentioned their defensive statistics. They are also second in the league in yards per game and just 0.4 points behind the Bills in points per game. 34 points per game to this point. I just imagine them scoring 30 every single week and it's because they have the balance attack again. Zeke and Pollard look good. The offensive weapons on the, the, the passing front are impressive. And they're going to score 30 a game. And when you think about that, you think about the Bills, Bucks, Cardinals, Chiefs, Browns, and Chargers, Rams are there, right? Th- that's about eight teams in the league who can score with them. Guess what? The, Brown- the uh, Cowboys aren't playing those teams more often than not. They're going to walk away with this division pretty much with ease, which you know, implants them in this conversation. So let's move on. And and because their offensive line is right up there with the Browns as being probably the best in the league. And also that is when they get Lyle Collins back, the idiot who tried to rig his drug test when you don't, when you can't get suspended for pot. So unless he's taking steroids, there was no need to try to do that in the first place, but they will get him back eventually this year. And their offensive line is going to be even scarier than it has been. Absolutely. They're going to walk away with this division. It's not even going to be close. They're the only team in the division with a positive uh, differential. They're plus 53. The next closest is the Eagles at minus nine. So yeah, that's yeah what, I, that's I would assume, got. I would assume you can't even get like even close to minus like 250 odds on them to win the NFC East. So I don't know what yeah. that is right now, but if it's, if you can get anything like that's like worth the juice, I would take it because they're winning the NFC East. Yeah. They're going to walk away with it. So yeah, the Cowboys are in the conversation. Let's move on to the let's go to the Green Bay Packers first then we'll hit the Bucks quickly and then we'll talk Cardinals Rams really quick because we got we got to start uh speeding this up a little bit Green Bay Packers obviously week one it's out the window is that fair it's gone no one cares it right should, should we just not care about that anymore I would say I wouldn't say not care about it because yeah I would say it's about as close to not caring about it anymore because they, they've they've absolutely put in the rearview mirror Okay, so that, I'm glad we were there because 38-3, you know what I mean? It's just like one of those games where we're going to look back and be like, remember when that happened? That was weird. Wasn't that weird? Yeah, it was. Okay, so the Packers now, they beat the Lions, whatever. They beat the Niners, solid win. Beat the Steelers, solid win. Weird game against the Bengals. So thinking about the Packers, thinking about their offense and the defense, do you feel comfortable thinking of them as an elite team right now? Like when you th- think about them against these other teams here, do you expect them to just continuously win games here or are they going to struggle and find this rough road against a decent competition? Like they play in the next couple of weeks, the bears two weeks or three weeks, the Cardinals and the Chiefs, Seahawks. So do they compete with the best of the best and beat up on the, or, or just beat up on the little guys? Yeah, I'd, I'd probably have the Packers at, at number five in the five teams we've listed. Um, again, that's a team that needs a solid offensive line to give Aaron Rodgers time to be able to throw the ball and also establish the run game with Aaron Jones. And they have injuries on the offensive line that they might not be able to recover from Bakhtiari probably out for the year, right? Elgin Jenkins has been banged up. So they're like, they're going down to like their third string tackle, their center, Josh Myers, I believe missed the game against Cincinnati and is also like dealing with some injuries. So that is an offensive line that if they're not healthy, that takes it. That takes their offense down a tier. And the fact that, like outside of Devonte Adams, I'm still not sold on like Lazard and Cobb 
and you know, and you know, Val, Valdez Scantling now on the IR. And I'm like, I'm not sold on those other weapons. I'm not sold on big Bob Tunyon to like be able to take over a game. If Devontae Adams is double covered or is out for the game, if he misses a game with an injury. So their offense is not as deep as other offenses in the conference. And their defense to me is just not that great. They're not that great, especially with Jair Alexander on the IR. Like they're very, I think they're beatable by most of these good teams in the conference. Yeah, I I, I, I tend to agree with you there. And it frustrates me because I tried to be the Packers truther after that week one. Like, hey, come on, we're not going to worry about that. We're going to move forward. And I, I successfully bet on them a couple times uh, as underdogs against 49ers with the money line and the plus three. That was a hit. You know, they're, they're taking care of business here. But I think about them against elite competition, and it's going to be harder and harder to get 150-plus yards of Devontae Adams when defenses are completely keying in on him. What do you have, 206 this week or something like that? Did he have 200-plus yards uh, receiving? I think he might have. So another thing, they need to figure out how to get Aaron Jones going because if you think about their playmakers, he's the only guy you didn't mention that's nearly an elite-level guy. He's pretty much an elite-level running back, right? And they are currently yeah. lower third in the league and rushing right now, 500 yards through five games. And that's with A.J. Dillon not being bad either as their second guy. So Yeah, and, and yes, Devontae had 206 yards, which is absurd. Absolutely insane, right, for them to be able to even pull that off. Like, how do you how do you let that happen as a defense? But that's what Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams do. So I think they need to figure out the run game in order to make that pass game come a little easier, more consistently. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think, you know, and just in terms of the eye test, like I said, like that, that line doesn't make sense to me. I'm going to bet the Packers and Cincinnati had three, you know, they had, they had three chances. Mason Crosby all of a sudden after making 27 straight field goals, couldn't make one to save his life. And the Bengals had chances and their rookie kicker McPherson thought he won the game and he fucking missed the field goal. So that game, that game was as, you know, stupid, good with drama and like what the WTF moments as some of the other games this week. Uh, but like at the end of the day, they won that game in overtime against Cincinnati Bengals. Like that was a game to me. That was a prove a game for them to show they are elite and they didn't. And just I test off that game alone, coupled with the fact with the 38, three loss in week one, even though we said like, let's, you know, it's kind of in the rearview mirror. Like those are two out of the five games. They got blown out in one. And to me, unconvincing win against a team that you could have like proved that you're above most of the other teams in the conference. They didn't do it. So I'm I'm not in on I'm not in on them yet. Yeah, and good job by you grabbing them at minus two and a half because a lot of sharp money was on the Bengals and they proved why when it when they kept it close, made it to overtime. So let's do here. Let's go right to our big three. Let's not even waste our time going deep into the next three teams uh, as we're running out of time here. So we got the Bucks, Cardinals, Rams, Packers, and Cowboys. Pat, give me your big three in the NFC. Big three in the NFC. This is a little bit tougher in the AFC, but just to uh... For brevity's sake here, I, I, I mean, look, I said they were my dark horse to get to the NFC title game before the season started. I've got the Cardinals at number one right now. I think they've been even better than I thought they were. Kyler Murray's having an MVP-type season. The defense has been above expectation. And uh, to me, they're number one right now. It also helps that they're still undefeated. I would put – it's a tough – it's a tough nearly tie for second for me. Um, if I had to give the edge to a team, I'd give it to Dallas at number two, and I'd put Tampa Bay at number three. I, I love it. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Tampa Bay number one. I'm gonna do that, even though I know they have some issues here on defense. They're trying to figure that stuff out. 
they do have enough talent still there on def- on the defensive end to to get right. I think the defensive backfield for them is the clear issue, something that you called out early in the year on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But that offense is figuring it out. Leonard Fournette proving himself as their lead back. You know, that was something they couldn't quite figure out for a while, even throughout the entirety of last season. Was it Ronald Jones? Was it Fournette? Is it Giovanni Bernard, right? Like, who's their go-to guy? Fournette's proving it to be him right now. So I give the edge to Tampa Bay over the Cardinals just as a more well-rounded attack um, offensively and defensively. You know, they're probably give or take in that same realm. So I'll do Tampa 1, Cardinals 2 with a little bit of hesitation because I actually do believe right now, Pat, no, I'm doing it. Dallas 2, Cardinals 3. I think Dallas's offense is more reliable than what Arizona is doing on a week-in, week-out basis. And I think what happened against San Francisco there proves it a little bit. They struggled to score 17 points against a team with a rookie quarterback. Now, I know maybe they felt like they can win that game tight, win it low scoring. Maybe they didn't have to unleash every single opportunity to score 30 in that game. But I'm a little worried there that all the the bells and whistles, all the uh, ribbons on the offense in the first couple weeks come back to life a little bit here, back to a, a normal level of good offense and not quite elite, whereas I just I can't even fathom the Cowboys not scoring 30 a game. So I'm going to continue to hate on the Cardinals, apparently. I'm just going to keep yeah. getting burned about hating on the Cardinals, betting against the Cardinals every every single time. Just to finish here really quickly, I just I love the balance that <clears throat> Dallas and Arizona have more so than Tampa Bay. And look, I know it's Tom Brady, and they have probably better weapons than maybe any other team in the league uh, with everybody they have, especially if Gronk gets healthy, which he's looking like he might play Thursday. Even if he's not, he'll be back the week after that. I just love that the duo that Dallas has with Pollard and Zeke and the fact that Dak can run as well. And I love also the fact that Arizona has three legit rushing weapons with Edmonds, Connor and Kyler. So I like the balance that those two teams have to run the ball 25 times and throw the ball 35 times rather than Tampa Bay, who looks like, you know, it it seems at times they have to throw the ball 50 times a game just to have success when they can't get a run game going. Yeah. And I think part of it for me is just seeing Kyler do it for a full year where we've seen Brady do it for 19 years. We've seen Dak do it for full years. Kyler is going to get there and this might be the year he does it. I'll gladly eat my words when they're, you know, 14 win team this year or something like that. Right. Rams need to figure it out on defense and, and perhaps they can get back into this top three conversation. Pat really, really quickly. Let's go through our new favorite segment where we talk about some of our picks this week, where, Maybe we won, maybe we lost, maybe we have some regrets, maybe we don't, and we have a new sound that we will uh, debut in a moment here. When uh, Actually, why don't I just start it off? I just talked about the Cardinals. I just talked about betting against the Cardinals. I got two for you here, Pat. I got double trouble for your boy, Pete. Can you please call me up and tell me to change my freaking picks if I bet against the Cardinals? Actually, I might do it. I might bet on the Browns this week. I'm just saying. <laughs> <I'm doing it. laughs> no, so if I bet against the Cardinals, and bet on the Vikings again, you just got to send me this sound. I hate myself. Because that's how I feel, man. (laughs) That's how I feel when I made that pick. I even said it on my Cardinals pick. This is my second pick of the week where I'm hating myself and watching the game again. I I thought the Niners were going to have a cover in them. You know, Trey Lance's first start. They kept it tight. They gave me a shot on the cover there. They lost by seven. They needed to cover five. We didn't quite get there, but I truly I hate myself when I bet against those two or against the Cardinals and on the Vikings. It's just pain. 
I love the fucking Andy Melanakis <laughs> loathing, self-loathing apple drop. That is brilliant. <laughs> that might be one. That might be some of your best work ever. Thank you. Yeah, no, that's top tier drop right there. We'll definitely be utilizing it, not just in this segment, because how can you not love that? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't regret my what I said my lock of the week was the, the tease Tampa Bay minus six, Minnesota minus two and a half. I mean, look, Dalvin Cook didn't end up playing. I know Patterson's been great. Uh, Madison's been great, excuse me. But um, yeah, look, Detroit just, they, they continue to have that scrappy, you know, grit to them. And that's obviously like their leadership through Dan Campbell, but they continue to just find ways to lose heartbreaking games every week. And look, I, I lose by a half a point on Minnesota. So be it intradivisional game. That was the concern. It was also the concern. If Cook did not play, he did not play. Um, I don't regret that. I do hate myself, though, if you want to go ahead and drop that. I hate myself. For teasing the Chiefs instead of teasing the Bills and the over. I teased the Chiefs in the over. I should have teased the Bills plus 10 and a half in the over, considering I have shit on Kansas City's defense all year long. Mm. So I hate my I hate myself for that. That is not one where you can say that that's some regrets right there. That's what that's one where you record the pick and you go, oh, did I really do that? That's how I felt when I when I did the Cardinals, man. I, I felt it, even though the Niners gave me a shot for a second there. I thought I might have, whatever. We're going to move on. The picks are going solid so far. Combined, what's a six, 16 plus 11 is 27. 9 plus 14 is 23. That's math. Tw- 27 and 24. Wait, three. Did I say 23? Well, wow. I, well, I don't yeah, even no, know. Yeah, no, 27 and 23. 27 and 23. 27 and 23 combined for you and me so far, Pat. That's a winning record between the two of us. I got a, a, a DM from my guy, Tom Pellegrino. Shout out, T-Pels. He said he went with all my picks this week, and he was pissed at the Vikings. I'm also pissed at the Vikings, but shout out to you for riding the picks, baby. We love to hear it. Yeah, and flex on him, Pete, because you're 16-9 and nine carrying us right now. Hey, man, somebody's got to do it. You did it for me last year for a big chunk of the season, and then I picked it up, and we both ended well above 500. I have the utmost faith it's going to happen the same again this year. Yes, sir. That's right. All right, y'all. Subway Sports Talk. That was an hour jam-packed with NFL action. That NFL was like an takes. hour sprint. Ooh, it didn't stop. Didn't stop. So now get get on your horse. Get through that Holland Tunnel before 11 p.m. And we're on our way. We'll be back with picks, of course, on social media uh, before the weekend or during the weekend. Shout out to all y'all for listening. Subscribe, rate, review. You know what to do. At Subway Sports Talk, Instagram and Twitter. Cheers. Pat Boyle, Pete Kennedy. Get out of here. <laughs>